Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Bible Center with Victor Jackson. I want to thank each of you for joining me. Um, I hope you had an amazing weekend and an amazing Monday. And I want to thank each of you for your feedback with these episodes. Uh, the Word of God is truly uh, making a profound impact. We're in Matthew 18. We have made some tremendous progress. And we are hastening. We only have nine chapters left. We are hastening to the cross. And the word of God is so deep. I, I am so blessed by the word of God. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into hell fire, cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost, which was lost. How think ye if a man... Have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish." End it in verse 14. Um, today, I want to talk about the discipline of a disciple. The discipline of a disciple. Because Matthew is introducing here um, a concept of a kingdom and covenant community that 
there are a people that are not just hearing the words of Jesus, but there's something about the word that calls out to be separate. There's something about the word that calls out to be distinct and different. That it's more than just the rumation of soliloquies and homilies and the homiletics, but that there is a life that is expected to be lived by the disciple that is not earthly focused, but it is heavenly influenced. It is where the concept of a heavenly kingdom and a spiritual kingdom is having influence on a physical community and on the on the phys, physical nature of a community and on a person this is what makes the church distinct that by this shall they know you're my disciples that you have love for one another that somehow the influence of heaven is affecting how we deal with one another Anytime you see brothers and sisters fighting and hating one another, it means that there is an absent spiritual kingdom influence upon a life. Anytime there are pushing and shoving and striving with strife for secular concepts of greatness, it means that somewhere someone is missing the spirit's influence or the kingdom influence upon that soul. And where there is a lack of kingdom influence, there will always be tension. Where there is lack of kingdom influence, there will always be some type of division. When there is lack of kingdom influence, uh, is what I said I said, in the devil's mathematics, his answer to addition and multiplication is division. That's his answer to the Lord adding to the church daily and the word of God multiplying. His answer is division. And Division, the word die means two vision. It just means two visions. And in the kingdom, there is a vision of love, of hope, of peace, of joy, of clarity. There is a vision. And there is division when someone else aligns themselves with a different concept and strive to try to walk together, light has no fellowship with darkness. The vision is a sign of the lack of kingdom influence in a life. So he starts giving, Matthew starts giving concepts of a covenant community. That Jesus did not, yes, Jesus fulfills the law. He is the fulfillment. 
Yes, Matthew's writing to the Jews to persuade them that Jesus is the Christ. Yes, this is all incredibly important, but now he is pushing toward a, a, a people that reflect these teachings. He's pushing for not just the beauty of the Beatitudes, but he's looking for the beauty of obedience. That that sounds good. Oh, that was great. Oh, that was a great sermon. Oh, that was great. Wonderful. But can you live this out? That's, that's, that's the struggle of every Christian life. It is to live it out. And if the message is good, then there's going to be some actions, some obedience, and some fruit that follows. So now, in verse 1 of chapter 18, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Look at this. They are, are, they are being influenced by uh, Rome, by a Roman society, by Greece, and remember, these concepts are concepts of the beginning of Western civilization. If you want to learn about America, you go to Rome. You understand Rome. If you want to learn about America, you want to understand Greece. Because Greece and Rome are the beginnings of Western civilization. So we see these disciples that are spending time with Jesus they are surrounded by a culture that is all about who's the greatest. Who's the greatest? Who is the greatest? So they're walking with him. They're talking with him. They're spending time with him. But the influence of the culture is stating who is the greatest. And Jesus shows them. He doesn't rebuke their desire for greatness. He just changes the lens that they see through. He doesn't, he doesn't rebuke the desire for greatness, but he just shows them the path. And he shows it in verse 2. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as a little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He said, listen, if you want to be the greatest, I'm going to show you the path to greatness. It starts with becoming as a little child. Now, in, in, in Roman society, the children were at the bottom of the rung. And Roman society, as a matter of fact, if you didn't want a child, you could literally throw it away. The, the children did not have a strong standing in society. They were more of a nuisance. They were more of being someone uh, in the way. But there's something about the child that reflects innocence. There's something about the child that reflects purity. There's something about the child that reflects dependency. And he says that if you want to be great, be dependent. Oh, my word. I'm ruffling some feathers already today because everything's about being independent. But he said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, it's going to be, there has to be a dependency upon my presence. There has to be an innocence, a, 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 an, 
a trust in the Father. That's what greatness looks like. He gives a different concept. He never rebukes them for desiring greatness. He just shows them how to attain it. And you attain it by becoming as a little child. You attain it by he that is greatest among you must be servant of all. You attain this greatness not by pushing others down, but by lifting him up. Not by destroying one another, but by preferring one another. You see, these are the signs of a covenant community that is influenced by the kingdom, that you lift up giftings, that you prefer others before self. But the sign of the influence of the world is when you're trying to tear down others to prop up self. Look what he says. Verse four, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He said, you want to you be great? Have the humility of a child. Have the humility of a child. You bring a child to the playground, that child will start just playing with kids from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses, because there is a humility in a child that will get along with people that are different than them. They have to be taught to hate. They have to be taught to not love. But every child, when you send them out in the middle of a playground or with people, there's going to be and a sincerity and an openness and, and a child has an open spirit and, and, and an innocence and a purity about them. Every disciple has to have the discipline, watch this, to, to stay as a little child. My greatest secret in my ministry is to stay as a child in his presence. Dad, I need you today. I, I, I can't do it alone. I need you. God, protect my purity, protect my innocence in your, in your kingdom. Help me to treat people right. Help me to handle people right. Help me to handle your body, your body right. That's my, my secret as I go into his presence and I ask dad, did I do a good job today? Dad, what, what could I have done better my greatness is not on how how strong how strong I am and how strong like hey you 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 bow to me hey you I'm I'm this I'm that I'm this I'm that that is not kingdom talk kingdom talk is how can I serve you how can I how can I help you get where you need to go There is a heavenly influence upon a disciple when there is a dependability and there is a humility, a humility that's willing to serve, willing to serve people that hate you, willing to serve people that despise you. But this is the covenant community. And let me say something here. There's people that refuse to do this and you can refuse to do it but don't profess yourself to be a part of that covenant community. Look what he says here. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. 
But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned into the depth of the sea. Oh my goodness. Uh, you feel the weight of this word. He says, if you offend one of these little ones, one of these believers, he said it's better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and cast into the sea. The, the first century Jews had a fear of drowning. Had a fear of drowning because they were all about ag agriculture and land. So he puts an image of drowning when you offend one of God's children. What he's saying here is be careful. Why? Because the Western culture, Western civilization is going to convince you to hurt people to get what you want. And he said, if you offend one of these little children, I'm telling you, it's better for a millstone to be cast around your neck and, and, and thrown into the sea. Whew. He said, you got to be careful. Well, they sing better than I do, so I'm going to make up some accusations and try to hurt them so my, so my ministry of music could go up. God said, you better be careful what you're doing with my kids. Oh, my goodness, I don't like how their ministry is doing great. Uh, let, me, let me try to destroy them. Let me lie on them. Let me uh, cause strife. Let me gossip. Let me do this. Let me do that because I want people to see me. God said, you better be careful on how you're treating my children. See, he says that you have to become a child and you have to handle people as if they're child. I, I, I'm, I'm afraid that in the Christian community, we're, we're, throwing, we're, throwing, we're throwing babies around. Imagine just having a child and they're a week old and instead of a Christian community embracing, loving, being careful, nurturing the child, you're just throwing it around, not fearful of what will happen to it. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. We got to be careful how we handle one another. Oh, my goodness. We got to be careful how we handle one another. We've got to be careful how we handle one another. Everybody's going through something. Everyone's having some issue. We have to be careful how we're handling God's body, God's children. Mm. And I've seen it where people come into the church. I've seen it over the years. People come into the church and they have some type of gifting. And the people in the church are threatened by the gifting. And the person just gets saved, just gets baptized, just gets the Holy Ghost, just believes in Jesus. But they have this gifting or they have a company that's a competitor with another company of a, someone in the church. And so as soon as they come in, they're targeted. I'm talking right now. I am talking right now. They get saved. They're fresh from being saved. 
but because they were successful in, in in the world now instead of being embraced by the community now there's competition are you getting what i'm saying competition doesn't come from god competing with one another in the kingdom these are western concepts the greeks invented uh, uh the olympics the values of the grecian culture was agon and arete which means the struggle of overpowering another and excellence and you see, that's what made Rome what it is. That's what made Greece what it is. And that's what made America what it is. But those values are not kingdom values. Look what he says here. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Now, look at what we do in Western culture. I'm going to help here. We hold the offended accountable, but we don't hold the offender accountable. If you look at this text, he says offenses are going to come, by, but woe to, by, to the person by whom the offense comes. See, Jesus holds the offender accountable, Western culture, we hold the offended accountable. Isn't that interesting? Man holds the offended accountable because man is often the offender. But Jesus holds the offender accountable and the offended. But if you notice, our culture focuses on our response to offense, but it never tries to stop the act of the offender. And the energy is all based on, well, this is how you, hey, this is how you respond to abuse. This is how you respond to this. Yeah, when someone slaps you, this is how you respond. Yeah, when someone's trying to destroy you, this is how you respond. My God. And all the weight is put on the offended, and no one's talking about the act of the offender. The offended have a responsibility with their response to go into the presence of God, to go into forgiveness, to ask God to cleanse them from any potential root of bitterness. But that does not disqualify the need for the offender to be accountable because Jesus I'm in the book he holds the offender accountable he said put a millstone a, something that a donkey carries to grind put that around their neck and cast them into the sea if you're going to offend the child so we talk about a child's response to being raised in child abuse and say, oh, don't let it define you. It's the past. It's the past. Heal, 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 heal. But, but while we spend time excusing the behavior of the abuser, I'm showing you biblically that God holds the offender accountable. And his emphasis here is on the offender, 
not be offended. We've got to stop treating people wrong. We've got to stop with the abuse. We've got to stop. We've got to be careful how we handle God's children. So in this covenant community, we have to be very watchful as the discipline of a disciple. We have to be very watchful that we are not intentionally being the offenders. That there has to be repentance. There has to be love. There has to be a gentleness. We can't be so brazen where we're hurting people. If, if you have a vision of becoming great, but that means hurting others, that vision didn't come from God. That vision came from your flesh. Because anytime God gives a vision, it's not about you. It's about people. I'm going to talk to somebody in the Holy Ghost right now. The Bible says that when God gave Joseph that dream, it wasn't even about him. He had a dream of his brother's sheaves bowing down to him. The focus wasn't on, on him being the leader. Oh, God. Oh, God, help me to give this word to somebody listening right now. The focus was not him being the leader. The focus was the sheaves bowing down. The dream was about saving his brothers from dying in a famine. The focus was not his superiority of his leadership. It was that his brothers were going to need him one day. And this is what happened when Joseph forgave his brothers. He said, you didn't send me here. God did. He said, God sent me before you to, sa to save your lives by a great deliverance. He said, the dream was never about me. The dream wasn't about me being second in command of Pharaoh. The dream wasn't about me being called Zephnath Paneah. The Lord hears and he speaks. The dream wasn't about me being this great person with the keys to the storehouse. The dream was about you one day, brothers, needing to survive in a famine. And I'm the one that's going to help the family survive. It wasn't about me. It was about you. The dream's never about you. It's about people. If you want to know if a dream is from God, you see who the focus of the dream is on. Because if it's only about you, <laughs> you're going to hurt people to fulfill it. But man, if it's about people, you're going to be very careful how you walk through this life. Oh, hallelujah.
Oh, God. When there's a dream, you have to be careful on how you're handling people. Joseph had to be careful on how he handled his brothers. His brothers did that to him. Put him in the pit, put him in the prison. He was in Potiphar's house. He was in all of this. But Joseph had to be careful how he handled them. Because the dream's not about you. It's about others. That's the purpose of your dream. It's about serving others. You don't need to tear down anyone to lift yourself up. When you tear down people, it's just a sign of your own insecurity. You're just insecure. When you're comparing and limiting, I'm I'm telling you, I'm telling you the discipline of a disciple. The discipline of a disciple is we've got to be careful that we're not the offenders. That we're not intentionally offending people. That we're not intentionally offending people. I've said it for years. I've said it probably since 2014. That Saul chased David until David dwelt in the land of the Philistines. The Philistines are a type of the world. And when Saul chased David into the Philistines, that's when he stopped chasing after him. Saul would rather his brother be in the world than to do better than him in God's kingdom. Saul would rather David be backslid than to be celebrated in the kingdom. The Bible says he stopped chasing them when he went to the Philistines and he stopped chasing them at a place called the Rock of Division. He would rather David be backslid than to preach better than him. He'd rather him be backslid than to sing better than him. He'd rather him be backslid than to write better than him. He would rather his brother be in the world than to do better than, than him in the church. And the issue is, is that Saul felt that David's greatness was a threat to his own. So I've got to get rid of you so I can be celebrated. That's what you call an offender. That's someone that is influenced by the world, but not influenced by Christ, not influenced by God. He rather, he felt that if he just got rid of, of God's anointed, that people would appreciate him better. That's the spirit of Saul. the spirit of Saul and David you're looking at a lesson from the offender and the offended look how the life of the offender ended the presence of God left him the offender was seeking for guidance from a witch because God wasn't speaking to him but the offended David he never let the offense get into his heart when he had opportunities to hurt Saul, he refused to. He was humble. He was humbling himself. He said, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. The offender and the offended in the life of Saul and David. It's a perfect example. Saul's whole life 
kingship ministry was defined by what he took from people. If you go look at it, God said, oh, they want a king, huh? Well, this is the type of king they're going to have. He shall take from you. He's going to take your best kids. He's going to take your best, the best of everything he's going to take. But David, he's a man after my own heart. Wow. Saul, Saul was, kingship was defined by what he took from people and how he used people for his own personal agenda, for his own promotion. Are you getting what I'm saying? David's kingship is defined as a man after God's own heart. A man that's not perfect, but a man that is pursuing the heart of God with everything in him, where he's being careful how he treats people. And when Absalom rose up to take the kingship from him, he didn't even fight him. He said, I didn't even fight for this kingship. I didn't fight to become king. I'm not going to fight to stay king. And he left the throne because he didn't want there to be blood on his hands for a dream. If, if a dream is from God, it doesn't require blood. Come on, somebody. We don't need the blood. I'm, I'm afraid there's too many people's dreams that have the blood of saints on it. Bloody dreams. That's what I should have titled this, bloody dreams. We got to be careful how we handle one another. We got to be careful how we handle one another. It says, wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast in hell fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven, for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Jesus uses hyperbole here. And when he uses hyperbole, he's, he's, he's trying to highlight the discipline that it takes. It says, if your hand is offending, if your foot is offending, if, if your eye is offending, you cut it off because that you offending people can put you into hellfire. It's when you're intentionally offending. Remember, Matthew 24, it, it would later state that many shall be offended, right? That's just the nature of the world. Every, everyone's getting offended by something. But you just make sure that you are not intentionally being the offender. There's people that are going to be offended by truth. There's people that are going to be offended by you living a life different from the world. But you just make sure when you're persecuted, it's for righteousness sake. 
and it's not you creating the environment of offense and heartache and pain. So he uses the hand, the foot, and the eye. It's it's noticeable that that he's he's trying to he's exaggerating. Because he wants you to understand the magnitude of being the offender. The hand, the foot, and the eye. Can I tell you, this takes self-discipline. Jesus did everything it took for you to have be empowered by discipline. The hand and the foot. They nailed his hands so you won't touch sin. They nailed his feet so you won't walk in the ways of the ungodly. They put a crown of thorns on him so so the the blood can, can cleanse your vision. What you see, what you touch, and where you walk can put you in danger of hellfire. Hellfire, it's literally speaking to Gehenna, which where they burnt the rubbish, they burnt the the trash all day. And he, and that's what it, he's given that visual of everlasting fire that it just burns all day. How think you if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountain and seeketh the one which is gone astray? If so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoices more over that sheep than the ninety-nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Meaning that we should have, uh, in the covenant community, we should have a spirit of reconciliation. We should have a spirit of going in. And say, you know, some people say, well, yeah, I'm offending them, but they didn't want God anyway. I'm hurting them, but they didn't want God anyway. We cannot measure souls as profitable and unprofitable. That's the issue with Western civilization. How people look and people's socioeconomic status affects their value. But in the kingdom, everyone is valuable. Some people say, well, I'm not chasing after that one. I'm not chasing after that, that one. Oh, no, no, no. They, they, were, they were bad anyway. Every soul is valuable. The offender's soul is valuable and the offended soul is, is valuable. And you being the offender can lead you to backslide and you being the offended can lead you to backslide. But Jesus is chasing after everyone. I said he's chasing after everyone. He is chasing after everyone. And he will go to the mountains. He will go. He will overcome whatever obstacles it is to get to that lost sheep. How was he lost? Maybe he got lost because he was offending everybody. And he got backslid. Maybe he got lost because he was offended so much. We talked about it with the seed that's sown um, on the wayside and on the stony ground. That by and by he's offended because of the word. 
There's some people that will be offended because of the word and because of truth. But don't let anyone be offended because you are acting ungodly or behaving in an abusive manner. Because it's better for a millstone to be tied around our neck and cast to a sea than to offend God's children. If you have a dream, you don't have to kill anybody to make it happen. If you have a dream, you don't have to become Cain to get that dream accomplished. You don't have to heed to the way of Cain. You don't have to be an Esau chasing after Jacob for your dream. You don't have to be a Haman trying to kill Mordecai to fill your dream, fulfill your dream. What God has for you is for you. And you can get there with godly character and becoming as a child in his presence. In the United States, children with a weapon is called neglect. And if we're supposed to be children in the kingdom, put the weapons down. Come on. You're too, you put the weapons down. God, God loves you. God loves them. Put the weapons down. Put the weapons down and get into his presence. Who's the greatest? The one that becomes as a child. Who's the greatest? The one that is careful with the people around them. Who's the greatest? The person that is walking in a discipline because he is influenced by a kingdom community. I pray you are blessed today. Please share this. Share this message because by this shall they know you're my disciples that you have a love for one another. Share this message. Share this with your family. Share this with your friends. I think I am going to have to title this Bloody dreams. Bloody dreams. Any dream with blood on it is tainted. Children are known for their dreams. But those dreams could only be accomplished through the hands of the father, not the hands of the child. Give your dream into the father's hands and put your weapons down. What an honor it is to share the word of God with you. Thank you for joining us today. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.